0: Right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Uh, would you pray with me Father we come before you this morning we revel in the fact that death could not contain your son you rolled the stone away this is all of our hope and all of our peace Father, let us never feel that we have gotten beyond the cross. Oh, Lord, rather help us to understand the gospel, the cross, Christ's substitutionary atonement. May it shape us and mold us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that no matter what's happening in the world around us, that you control all things. As we've said, there is no maverick molecule in this whole universe. We pray, Father, that there'd be no distraction to your word. Lord, we pray, God, would you do serious heart surgery? this text is piercing cutting and yet it is for your own is for our own good you've given your son and desire that we would not have undivided that we would not have divided hearts how foul we are how forgetful we can be. And God, we pray again, would you do heart surgery to us? Would we leave from this place changed? Spirit, do your work. Glorify Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The title of the sermon is Running from Idolatry. Running from Idolatry. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, We're going to take 14 to 22. 14 to 22. It says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as wise men. You judge what I say is not the cup of blessing, which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ, is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. Since there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? It's it's very telling and very piercing that Paul would speak this way to Christians. It's very easy for us, even as we look at idolatry, to say, well, you know, that's not me. Christian, what can rob you of joy or usefulness in his kingdom or fruitfulness? What can rob you more than idolatry? The first commandment that God gives in in, in Exodus 20 is what? I am the Lord, you shall have no other gods before me. And we think we obey that because we say, I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. And this may be true. Praise the Lord. You come here, you're walking with Christ. Praise the Lord. But this text is here for us that you would watch your own hearts. You recall, what, what did Paul say? He says in uh, Hebrew, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And what's amazing about this is that Christ reminds you this morning that you have been brought over from death to life, that you are now a partaker of him. God's word speaks to you this morning. To run from every form of idolatry to true freedom in Christ. The background we understand is that there were were folks who were asking, can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? And Paul was saying, yeah, because there's really no other God. But now the question is, in, in, in the Corinthians' mind, they started to take their liberties. Well, I could eat this, I could eat this, I can go here. And then they started to join in on the worship because of peer pressure, because of folks around them, because it would be easier to not stand for Christ. And then they engaged in idol worship. Notice in verse 14. This is where the whole point of the passage is in verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Therefore, Paul is saying, in light of your new life in Christ, in light of the resurrection that you share now in Christ, in light of your sins being forgiven, in light of your liberties, in light of temptation being real, and the pitfall of overconfidence, he says, be careful of this. He says, be on the alert. Your spiritual life in Christ is at stake. So Paul causes us, and he's telling you to pause and to understand the seriousness of this. Pause. Notice how Paul talks. He says, my beloved. It is very gracious. And the rebuke he gives them is idolatry. It's interesting. Paul says, my beloved. We know he's speaking to believers. We know the audience is the church there in Corinth. And He is expressing, uh, Paul was their former pastor, he is expressing his dear love for them. You're my beloved. And I tell you these things because I love you. And I am being impelled by the love of Christ. Paul counts them as love despite their sin and he calls to them because he loves them. And here is the injunction here's the imperative here's what he says if Christ has saved you and he has changed you and you now you understand that overconfidence can lead to sin he says therefore what is the what is what is the action that you should do should you get as close to to sin as possible sh- without sinning should you see how far you can go without actually sin no what paul now says and he layers it on he says flee Flee from idolatry. The word for flee means to run away, to escape, to disappear quickly. To not to linger. It's very dangerous. Don't see how much you can handle. Don't say, I got this. And in that idolatry of exercising liberties and then going too far, you're allowing yourself to be influenced by the pressures of the others. See, when we when we think about this as Christians, because we have no figurines in our house, this is what we think. Oh, I'm not idolatrous. I don't have figurines in my house. I don't have pictures of Jesus in my house. I don't have uh, different idols and um, um, totem poles and things of that nature. I don't have any of that idolatry. And yet, what God is warning about is replacing anything in the desire of your heart over him. That's what idolatry is. Really anything that you love more than God. Anything that you desire more than God. See, idolatry starts in the heart before it even makes its way out. Idolatry, of course, we can be material wealth. It could be hobbies. It could be sports. It could be toys. It could be vacations. One commentator listed different ways we can start to be idolatrous. One was libeling the character of God that is blaming him. You don't thank him when there's good things that happen, but you only blame him when there's bad things that happen. Worshipping the true God in the wrong way, worshiping any image, worshiping angels, worshiping demons, worshiping dead men, loyalty to anything other than God, covetousness, inordinate desire—not even of just sinful things, but of things that are not inherently evil, but you just love it too much. This is idolatry. But it all starts in the heart. Some are more insidious. Some are more insidious. There's the idol of approval of your peers. I don't want them to think I'm an idiot. So I won't stick up for Christ. I won't stand, make my stand for Christ. Sometimes there's the idol of respect. I've been disrespected, so I'm going to get it no matter what. Sometimes there's the idol of the deception of self-autonomy. I can do what I want when I want. No one can tell me what to do. I don't need anyone. Sometimes it's the idol of pleasure, whether it's inherently evil or not. Sometimes it's to be thought of as smart or strong or rich or clever. That's how I want to be thought of. or any joy other than God, any loyalty other than God. Sometimes it's just a Christless existence. You just live day to day without acknowledging who God is, without thanking Him, without even thinking about what Christ would want you to do each day. You just live this Christless existence. You may say you're a Christian, you may may say that you love Christ, but you live as a virtual atheist from day to day. Christ has no bearing on your schedule or your life. It starts in the heart. Ezekiel dealt with uh, idolatry where it started in the heart. Look with me in Ezekiel chapter 14. And you see the disastrous example of what happens of idolatry in the heart. In Ezekiel chapter 14... Ezekiel is writing to the elders of Israel. And he says here in Ezekiel chapter 14. In verse 1. And I'm going to read there. That some elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Saying, "Son of Man," that's the, Ezekiel takes on that title. Jesus takes it on in the New Testament. He says, "Son of Man," these men have set up their idols in their hearts. So there, there it is. Right. We actually we can keep it hidden. You know, sometimes we call it a pet sin and we're hiding it. Where it lies is this, God sees this, there's this idolatry that's not visible to other folks. The word therefore set up means to, to prop up. It's what's continually before me. And you do it in your heart. This is an incredible statement. This is God's indictment. And this will help you, brothers and sisters. How does it help you? Well, you know that you have the propensity for making idols. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. It doesn't matter how mature you are in Christ. And that's why Paul said, therefore him who thinks he stands, take what? Heed lest he fall. He doesn't want you to be terrified. He just wants you to smash them when they come up. John Calvin said it this way. He says, we may infer that the human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. That our minds and our hearts, we just continually keep fabricating. A perpetual, continual forge That's the cauldron where the metal is melted, right? We just continually make idols. Notice verse 2. He says, and have put them before their faces, the stumbling block of their iniquity. What happens is in this idolatry, this incipient deception that you put on you, in yourself, you actually put this and set this sin up and you don't tell anybody, very secretive about it, you set this sin up and it always, it says, as you are con- continually looking at it, you're always stumbling beca- before it. You've not done real hard work. You've not really out. We need the power of Christ to help us. Why? Because we fail in this. But notice this connection. This is amazing. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquities. When no one's looking, I'm contemplating about this idol and I'm going to fall. It's going to cause me damage, right? Then, Then God says this amazing verse. He says, should I be consulted by them at all? What is he saying? What these folks are doing, that's amazing. What these folks are doing is they're putting idols, they're setting up idols in their hearts. Whatever sin, whatever idolatry, whatever pride idol you may have, the secret idol, you set it up before you. And then you're going to God into prayer. And you're asking God for wisdom. All the while knowing knowing you have an idol in your heart. You're going to pray for blessing? You're going to pray for wisdom? You're going to pray for the sermon or Sunday service? You're going to pray for evangelism? No, brothers and sisters, our first prayer, really, if you want to be used of God, our first prayer should be repentance. God I'm having these temptations. Please remove it. Please help me. Give me truth that I may battle with it. Remind me of my identity in Christ, that I've been changed and transformed. I need to be reminded of this. But it's amazing. We all do it. rather than dealing with the mess and going humble and repenting we sweep it under the rug it would be like if I asked my kids hey could you sweep up outside and then they took the rug and swept it underneath there not really cleaning right this is a matter of yielding to God God would you just do your work in me would you do your surgery in me No one knows this pet sin I have. You do. I want to be right with you. So he continues on. Ezekiel continues on. Verse 4 Therefore speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up, here it is, he sets up his idols in his heart. It's amazing. Puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity. And what he's saying is, since you've not dealt radically with this idol, every time you think about it, every time you're alone, you're going to stumble. Right? You've not done what Christ said. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. You haven't done the dramatic work it takes by God's grace to root out that sin you let it linger. He says here, I, this is terrifying to me, the Lord will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitudes of his idols. And what's he saying? He's saying this, that if a Christian continues to follow after sin, just continues to pursue it and continues to have idolatry in their heart and continues to seek it and continue to put it before them not smashing them by the power of christ not in your own power please understand you're going to lose that fight okay in the power of christ but if you continue to hide the sin and you continue to do the sin what god says he's is i will not be mocked if you are my child i will deal with you publicly that's what's scary to me. The idols in my life. The sin in my life. Christian, if you are not actively killing sin, you're getting you are getting sucked up by its influence. Be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Paul's grasp on to that idolatry and, and, and here in Ezekiel the Lord will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitudes of his idols. Why? Look at verse five. In order, notice what this is what God does. This is how he deals with his people. In order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. Notice what happens is if you persist in your sin and you keep hiding it, what God does is he deals with you publicly. Why? Verse 5, in order, there's a cause. Because it causes you not to look down on someone, not to say, hey, that's you. You've done that. No, it causes you in order. What does it say? To lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel. What does God do? What is this sanctifying work he does? is he makes you look at your own heart. And it acts as a warning for yourself. It is a sanctifying agent. He says, it creates this new corporate holiness as we pursue Christ. Verse 6, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces from all your abominations. See, what what some folks say is, well, you know what, you know what, I'm not going to go to church. Why? Because my heart's not in it. Or I'm not going to go to Bible study. My heart's not in it. I'm not going to sing this song because my heart's not in it. They change the wrong thing. They change the action. The action is good. God doesn't tell us to change the action. He tells us to do the action. But he tells us to change the heart. So rather than say, oh, I don't want to go because I don't feel like going. Or I don't want to go because I don't, you know what, um, I'm in sin. No, the Bible says that's, that is why Christ came. That's why you have provision, brothers and sisters. That's why your heart can be. Rescued again, he says, Repent. Don't change the action, change the heart. Repent and turn away from your idols. Notice the graciousness that God does. It is God's grace. He's telling you, You can run to me, you don't have to live this way. Verse seven, he says, For anyone of the house of Israel or of the immigrants who stayed, it's interesting, it's just not just the Israelites, but also those who are staying with the Israelites. There's always been a heart of God, not just for Israel, but for those who would receive the Messiah of Israel. He says here, who stay in Israel, who separates himself from me. Notice, again, he sets up his idols in his heart. Puts right before the face the stumbling block of his iniquity. And then comes to the prophet to inquire of me for himself. I, the Lord, will be brought to answer him in my own person. And you notice this is astounding. This is how far the deception goes. There I go, but the grace of God. And I say this over and over because I want you to know that no matter how far you are as a Christian, you must always smash up the idols as they come up. Almost like, you know, those gophers that come up when you're playing miniature golf and you put your quarter in, they just keep coming up. You got to keep smashing it. Keep smashing it by the power of God. What happens is this, if you don't, notice what it happens He says here, for anyone of the house of Israel or the immigrants who stay in Israel, who separates himself from me, sets up his idols in his heart. Notice, why does this person separate themselves from God? That's where it is, right? Why? Why? First, how does, it, how does this happen? You're a professing believer and you start to pull away from God. You stop. You stop communing with God. Your prayer life becomes almost non-existent. You're no longer in dependence with God. Second, you stop listening to God. You stop reading his scriptures. So then there's this dangerous slope of what it means that when you separate yourself from God. Third, you stop fellowshipping with God's people. It just there's just slow separation of what occurs. And what the Bible says is those who separate himself from me, why? Why do they do it? Because they are setting up idols in their hearts. That's the relation. So the relationship is, you separate from me in order to set up idols in your heart. And then you put, puts right before his face a stumbling block of iniquity. And then, astonishing, in amazement, this is amazing. God says, how dare you do this? He says, and then you come to the prophet to inquire of me for himself. You think you're just fine. Because you outwardly do the bare minimum so that folks think you're okay. So that folks think you're a Christian. I'm going to synagogue. This is the Old Testament, remember? I'm going to the synagogue. I'm outwardly praying. I'm doing all these things outwardly, but in the heart I've separated myself. In the heart I'm, I'm not close to God. I've put idols and I've allowed it to be there. I haven't allowed Him to do this work in my life. I haven't allowed Him to rip it out. And I did it because I wanted my idols. He says in verse 8, Terrifying. I will set my face against that man and make him a sign and a proverb. I will cut him off from among my people. So that you will know that I am the Lord. Notice he says this, What God does, he says this in Romans chapter 1, if you continually want your sin, you continually want your rebellion, you want nothing to do with God, you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep doing it it without repentance, you keep doing it, God says, I'm going to let you have what you want. Go. You want that? Go. You want your idolatry? Go. And then he says, so that you will know that I'm the Lord. No matter what happens, brothers and sisters, God gets the glory. Now I need to, we need to speak about idolatry in these terms. This is how Ezekiel talks about it. It's very, very clear. But you notice he says, so you will know that I am the Lord. That's the same, that's the first commandment again. I am the Lord, you will have no other gods before me. And if you do try to have other gods before me, and you are my child, please understand, I will deal with you. There are certain times in my life, brothers and sisters, very embarrassing, where God has dealt with me because I've had sin and idolatry in my heart. And he took me to the woodshed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And because of his love, he has spanked me. Now, could I keep going that way? I keep going that way. You're destroying yourself. So brothers and sisters as we look at this we need to stop and think are there idols that are coming up in my life? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the reason why I belabor that is because we do not look at idolatry when we hear the word idolatry we don't think that it's me it's not me when as we look in Ezekiel, it is. It is me. I do have a tendency for that. I do have a tendency for idolatry here. In this area, in that area. But notice he says, I speak to you as wise men. You judge what I say. Listen to me. He's saying, listen to me. So, all this to say is, is by way of introduction. I know this is kind of opposite, but by way of introduction. To flee from idolatry and to run to freedom in Christ. You have to do that. Why? Why do you want to flee idolatry? Because there are three very, very dangerous hazards. There are three hazards. One, in verses 16 to 18, your idolatry is completely contrary to new life. It's completely contrary to new life. That's the Argument that Paul is saying. He says here verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless. A sharing in the blood of Christ. First Corinthians 10 16. If I lost you. Here he's saying the cup of blessing. In the Passover there were three different cups. This is the last cup. And this was the last cup. That Jesus took this cup. And he made it. Be the communion cup. This was the cup. Where they gave thanks for the meal and they gave thanks for all that God has done. And what he's saying is, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. This is the last cup of wine at the end of the meal. That Christ then took and then brought in and says, well this is the new covenant in my blood. He says, this is the sharing and brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian. You have shared in this spiritually And if you've shared in it, in its symbols, you understand, I have this relationship with Christ. This communion is telling others that I've been forgiven. What does he say? The blood of Christ. When we say the blood of Christ, we're not talking about this mystical, physical thing. There was nothing mystical or in the physical blood of Christ. That's superstition. The drops of it. The drops of blood is superstition. We're not saying that. We're saying the blood of Christ is symbolic of all the sacrifice that Christ has done. Of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. All of his work and what he's saying here to you, you've shared in his blood. You've been bought by his blood brothers and sisters for your idolatry. He knew how idolatrous you would be. And he bled anyways And then he moves on. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. You are partaking of his bread. This is a this is a throwback to the sharing of his life as Israel received the manna and the bread is his body, the blood symbolizes his substituted death the bread substitutes his body it's talking about his body as well but is emphasizing his life you are one with his death and you are one with his life and so Paul is layering all of this symbol and all of this metaphor and he's layering it. Layering it and layering it and he says look at the nation Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices shares in the altar. And what he's saying here is that they, is back in the time of Israel they could not share with the food of the, Le, uh, of the Levitical priesthood. Why? Because they were not priests. And now Paul says here that has been abolished. And the access that I have to God is the same access that you have to God because of his blood, because of his body. And so what he's saying here is, didn't we receive this special partaking with Christ? And so what is, what is he saying? He's saying if you have undergone such a radical transformation and this radical participation in the spirit, then why would you not fight the idolatry in your heart and rejoice in true worship of who he is? Why would you not bask in the blood already shed for you, Christian? Already shed for you? Would that not be motivation? He did this for me. I'm already participating in it. Why would I go back? Why would I put enemies into my own house? Why would I do that? Oh God, help me to be brave. Give me brothers and sisters to pray for me when I am tempted. Flee from idolatry to Christ because one, your idolatry is completely contrary to your new life. Secondly, your idolatry is dangerously satanic in nature. This is what Paul is saying in verses 19 to 21. It is a demonic and spiritual force. Please understand. This is war. This is not just, oh, I'm doing whatever I want. That is, This is spiritual war. And we need the power of God to root out these idols. Verse 19 that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything no Paul is not saying that there are real gods verse 20 no but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice they sacrifice to demons and not to God so what is he saying I don't want you to be sharers in demons I don't want you to join in that idolatry I don't want you to be pressured into worshiping with them to follow the same things that they do And then Paul says this amazing verse. He says, You can't drink the cup of the Lord. Here it is. And the cup of demons. It's amazing. If you allow idolatry in your heart, what you're doing is you're saying you're fellowshipping with God, but you're actually fellowshipping with demonic influence. You're doing you're behaving much more like an unbeliever than a believer. Then he says, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Stop. Stop playing both sides. Remember Joshua? What does he say? If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which are beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But finish it with me. As for me... And my house, what? We will serve the Lord. Remember what Jesus says? He's talking about mammon, but he's talking about the impossibility of serving two masters. You can't. You can't. You want to wonder why I can't really get going on my walk? Are you, um, my question would be, are you serving two masters? He, he says in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters for either. Why? Because you must hate the one And love the other. Notice you can't love both. And he keeps telling you this over and over and over again. And you know this. He teaches you this over and over and over again. The question is, do I really love Christ? Do I really love Christ? I'm weak. Do I really love him? God, you know my heart. That's what Peter said. You know my heart. You know I love you. Oh, Saint, you can give your weakness to him to root out idolatry in your heart. Notice, your idolatry, we have to flee from idolatry and run to Christ, run to his power, run to his provision. Why? Because... Your idolatry is completely contrary to a new life. It doesn't sink in with being a participant of the blood and the body of Christ. Secondly, your idolatry is dangerously satanic in nature. And thirdly, your idolatry is highly offensive to God. You need to sit here and ponder this. That your offense, when you have these idolatries, when you have these pet sins, your offense is not primarily against someone else oh i'm sorry i hurt you oh, i'm sorry I, I i made a mistake i'm sorry i had a lack, a lack of judgment there a lapse of judgment there i'm sorry no that is not where the offense lies and paul takes it all the way to heaven and that's how you need to think of sin and that's why the savior came amen He takes it all the way to heaven. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? The sin is against God. Brothers and sisters, it's not, it's not oh, I, I, I sinned against my discipler. I sinned against my home fellowship leader. I sinned against uh, my wife, my husband. All of that might be true. But primarily, brothers and sisters, it is against God. That's how I know if there's been repentance Sometimes when I dress, when I have to talk about, even in my life, or as I talk about sin in someone else's life, to get them to repentance. If they don't understand that they have sinned primarily against God, they have not repented. That was a mistake. This is what people do. They back off and they deny or they make defense. They keep making defenses. They don't sit there and say, I've sinned against God. It's me. And you're never going to grow, brothers and sisters. You're never going to grow in Christ. You're never going to grow in tenderness. You're never going to grow in love. You're never going to grow in forgiveness. Unless you know the enemy is you. But there is a Savior who washes you from it. Notice he says. Remember, this is what David said in Psalm 51.4. You guys remember? Against what? You! You only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David is saying, against you. We know that David sinned against Bathsheba. David sinned against Uriah. David sinned against his whole family. But David knows that primarily sin is not a, simply a, an, uh, uh, um, a breaking or an infraction of the law. That's what Christians think. It's not just an infraction of the law. It is high offense to God. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, 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 ran, a, I ran a red light. I was wrong. No, brothers and sisters. You got to know your sin goes all the way. And so, he says, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? What does that mean? Well, the only person who could be righteously jealous in this sense of him being the only sufficient um, meeting of all your needs is God himself. God knows that the best thing for you is himself. Do you understand? And so he is zealous and jealous for his name. Isaiah forty-eight eleven says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. How can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? Exodus 34 says, For you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous, his name is jealous, is a jealous God. Then he says, We are not stronger than he, are we? Notice, I want to go back to I want to go back to Ezekiel to kind of help me, help to explain this. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 6 now. This is amazing. This is an amazing text. Ezekiel uses an anthropomorphism. That is a, uh, a figure of speech referring to God as if he had the feelings. Sometimes as if he has the physical nature of man. Say, for instance, like when we say the hand of the Lord was upon him, we're not talking about God's physical hand was on you, right? We understand that. That's an anthropomorphism. So what is he saying here? Brothers and sisters, read this text and you tell me. Verse six, chapter 6, verse 9. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive. Notice it says here. How I, this is God speaking, I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me, and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. And they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed, for all their abominations. And here Ezekiel is just saying. That in the heart of God, as he describes it, and we are to know this, that if we place uh, idols in our hearts, notice it's idolatry. If we place idols in our hearts in some measure, in some way, he says, the way Ezekiel describes it, is that we hurt God. Now, I know God is self sufficient. Nothing can thwart his will. I understand that. I know this is an anthropomorphism. But it's supposed to be a metaphor that sticks in your mind that your sin is against him and him alone. Christian, if you have been wed to Christ, why then would you go back to your old life? If you have tasted of the cross, your sins have been washed. And your life is new in him. Why would you then taint it with the idols and demons of this world? Oh, Christian, all is not lost. Amen. All is not lost. He came to free you. Amen. Is there not joy in this? We are set free. Oh, Christian, all is not lost. Repent now. He will always receive you repent now turn away confess it and wash your hands of it in the blood again and do not bow to the idols who have no power but run to the living god let's pray father we pray would you do that work god if we go home and we think you know what i've been i've been in sin I've loved this too much or I've desired this too much. Lord, we just pray, would you root it out in our lives? Make us useful, God. Make us fruitful. Help us not to not separate ourselves from you. Oh, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it forth, thy courts above. God, we give ourselves to you. All we have is nothing. We beg you. Give us power. We know you can give us power to repent. Change our lives. Change our mind. Help us to be humble. And we'll give you all the praise. Thank you, Christ.